Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Patriot to the Core podcast. I am Thad Forrester. Thank you for joining me once again this week. And a shout out to you folks who have given me a recent review or recent reviews and ratings on iTunes. Thank you very much. Man, it's so easy now with Apple products to rate and review podcasts. So please, if you feel so inclined or even don't, it's so it's so easy just to scroll down there on your on the podcast app and tap it. And uh, if you don't feel I deserve a five-star rating, that's okay. Put down what you think, and I'll read it, and I may or may not acknowledge it. But thank you for listening regardless. Getting to the guest today, have you ever wondered if your deceased father received any awards for valor while serving in the military? Or have you ever been told a relative received a medal, but you've never seen it? Or how about this? Have you ever wondered if somebody is flat out lying to you about their service accomplishments? Not that that's necessarily a big deal, but I tell you what, I am amazed at how many people tell me things that they've done in the military right off the bat, like right after we've met. And I think they're full of crap lots of times because they they tell me so quickly. But anyway, it's not necessarily my place to call them out. And I, I actually, I haven't ever called them out, I don't think. But I, my guest today discusses that and how he says, careful before you do that, is it really worth calling someone out? Because, you, you know, veterans make mistakes too. They may wear their medals wrong or they may misspeak. So he has a good stance on double-checking yourself before you accuse someone of stolen valor. But it is a big problem because his, his wife actually created the Stolen Valor Act that was signed into law by George W. Bush in 2006. Uh, Mr. Sterner, who is a vet- Vietnam veteran, has created a searchable database of Valor Award citations. He is a Military Times contributing editor, and he's consumed himself with verifying this data of our military servicemen and women by verifying official award citations or narratives from individuals or records from the National Archives. He's really poured his heart and soul into this. It's an ongoing project, of course, It's a monumental effort to identify the half million men and women who have received the highest U.S. military awards, in addition to the millions of others who received other awards. Had a great talk with Mr. Sterner today and about the Hall of Valor that he's created there with the Military Times. So let's get in with him now. Well, Doug, what is the Hall of Valor? The Hall of Valor is the uh, most comprehensive and complete database of United States military heroes in existence, to and including anything that the military services have. Uh, It's a program that I've cooperated with Military Times over the last several years to uh, develop. Initially, the goal was to uh, get the citations for all awards of the Silver Star and higher. Now we're actually focusing on all awards above the Bronze Star estimated to be about 350,000 total awards. Wow. By the way, what is above the Bronze Star but below the Silver Star? Uh, Well, you've got several things there. You've got the Legion of Merit, which is not a Valor Award. However, it's an interesting award in that during World War II, uh, the Navy actually gave the Legion of Merit precedence over the Silver Star, and it was frequently awarded for heroic actions. And even to this day, the Navy Department awards the Legion of Merit with a V device in cases that involve heroic actions. You also have the Distinguished Flying Cross, which for the last 20 years, the Air Force also awarded Distinguished Flying Crosses with a V device if it was awarded for heroism uh, in a combat action. Uh, the... Um, Distinguished Flying Cross is also the highest 
Award for Heroism and Non-Combat Actions, uh, frequently awarded to members of the U.S. Coast Guard for some pretty uh, uh, risky and heroic actions in life-saving situations. Uh, after the Distinguished Flying Cross, you have a series of branch-specific awards, such as the Soldier's Medal, which is awarded by the Army, uh, the um, Airman's Medal, awarded by the Air Force, the Navy and Marine Corps Medal, awarded by the Navy Department to members of the Navy and Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard Medal. These three awards are for heroic actions not in a combat situation. Uh, they're often called the... Uh, non-combat medals of honor, uh, they are among the rarest and yet most uh, prestigious of all military awards in the uh, repertoire of U.S. military awards. Now, that's interesting. I was not aware of that. Good info. Yes, they're, they're very rare, but they're also, you know, very, very highly regarded, and they range from incidents such as a number of uh, soldiers' medal and an airman's medal were awarded to individuals who performed heroically in the aftermath of uh, the attacks of 9-11. Uh, quite a few of them awarded at the Pentagon uh, for heroic actions after the uh, uh, jetliner crashed into the Pentagon and other heroic actions such as that, as well as uh, a number of life-saving uh, instances. One of my favorites is a an individual who was awarded the Navy Marine Corps Medal uh, he worked at the Pentagon, and he was uh, driving home from work one day, and he saw a car go off the road and plunge into the uh, Potomac River. And uh, he pulled over, dove into the river, swam to the vehicle, and managed to pull a pregnant lady out of the vehicle, get her to shore. Uh, she was then taken by ambulance to the hospital. Unfortunately, uh, she died but they were able to save the child. And uh, several months later, uh, the woman's husband and her infant baby uh, attended the ceremony at the Pentagon where he was actually awarded the Navy and Marine Corps Medal. So some of the stories surrounding these are really quite inspiring. Yeah. Yeah, so what are the origins of the Hall of Valor? Uh, this goes back to 1998. I launched a website, homeofheroes.com. It's still out there, although I'll probably be taking it down later this year. Primarily, initially, to provide information on the Medal of Honor. Uh, back in 1998, there was not a whole lot of information available on even the Medal of Honor. And so I began posting this with both citations and pictures of the individual recipients, as well as stories of the various heroes, to get that information out there. Uh, as I developed that website, two things came out of it. One was I began to have a number of people that would send me citations and say, you know, my husband got the Medal of Honor and you don't have him listed there. And uh, it turned out that the individual was a, a phony. And so that got me into the area of having to deal with stolen valor, phony heroes that were claiming awards that they had not received, and ultimately led my wife to write what became the Stolen Valor Act. The other thing is, I had a number of people saying, well, what about these other awards, such as the Service Crosses, the Distinguished Service Cross, the Navy Cross, the Air Force Cross? Uh, you know, these are not 
anything to sneeze at, and that's true. Sometimes the only difference between a Medal of Honor and a Distinguished Service Cross is the witness statements and the abilities of the clerk to type up the after-action report. And there was absolutely nowhere any listing of the recipients of our nation's second highest award, the service crosses. And so I thought, well, I will try. I'll probably never be able to complete it, but I will try to compile these. And actually, within about three years, I had compiled nearly all of the service crosses. Meanwhile, several people said, well, you know, what about the Silver Star? (laughs) And I said, that can't be done. It simply can't be done. There are 3,500 medals of honor, and I've got them all out there. There's about 20,000 service crosses. I've got them out there, but there have been somewhere around 130,000 silver stars awarded in history. There's no way a complete database of silver star recipients could be compiled. But I'm an old Army combat engineer, and the motto of the combat engineers is, Essayons, uh, we will try. And so I said, okay, well, I will try. And so about 2004, I expanded my work to start uh, compiling the Silver Star citations as well. And I've compiled indexes of close to 100,000 with citations for somewhere now around uh, 45 to 50,000 Silver Star citations that we've been able to find, digitize, and post in the Hall of Valor. Why have you uh, devoted so much time to the Hall of Valor, to these records? I guess it's largely because I can. I've been doing this for so long that I've learned the ins and outs, where to find them, how to do it. Uh, I'm able to do this, and I feel a a great obligation to do it because it it literally needs to be done. Um, We have... Believe it or not, there are individuals out there who receive high awards that don't even know that they received these awards. I mean, I have one case of an individual that found his name in our database with his citation for the Distinguished Service Cross that did not even know he had been awarded the Distinguished Service Cross in Vietnam. This is 50 years later. And I run into that on a regular basis. With regards to the Silver Star, here about five years ago, I had a young man that emailed me, and he said, Mr. Sterner, you've got my father listed in your uh, database for receiving a Silver Star. My dad served in World War II. He was on a uh, B-17 bomber. He was injured in action uh, and evacuated, but he was never awarded the Silver Star. And I told him, I said, well, I may have him there in error. I work off a number of indexes. I said, I will, uh, I'll go ahead and take him out of the database. But I said, uh, if I were you, I would get a copy of Headquarters, uh, 8th Air Force, General Orders Number 57, 1944, because that's the general orders that my index shows he received it under. I don't have a copy of it, so that's why I can't confirm it. But, you know, you might want to take a look at that. And I never thought I would hear any more. And about six months later, this guy emailed me back. He said, Mr. Sterner, I got that general orders, and my dad was awarded the Silver Star for his actions in World War II. And I said, well, would you, is your father still living? And he said, yes. I said, would you like to get it properly awarded to him? And he said, can we do that? I said, oh, yeah, members of Congress love to do things like that. I'll be happy to help you. He said, anything you can do. So... He gave me his father's address. I looked his dad's congressman up, found out who his congressman was, 
contacted the congressman's office, and I said, here's the general orders for this constituent of yours. He was awarded the Silver Star for his heroism in World War II, but uh, he did not even know it. He's never received the award. And uh, the congressman's office was really excited about it. Uh, a couple months later in September, they emailed me, and I said, Mr. Sterner, we got the uh, Silver Star back from the Army, all engraved, along with the citation. We're going to present it to him on Veterans Day. Unfortunately, the gentleman passed away the end of October. And so his Silver Star was ultimately presented posthumously to his widow. But my one consolation was at least this man knew before he died that his country had actually recognized his heroism with award of the Silver Star. And, you know, those kind of things, and, and that's not the only case that I have like that. Those, those things motivate me to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, what what kind of effects has this had on you, learning about so many people with their their acts of valor? <laughs> you want me to tell you what you want to hear? You want the truth? I want the truth. <laughs> <laughs> the truth? <laughs> it's ruined my life. <laughs> it's consumed me. It's taken me away from everything else. It's... Uh, caused me to uh, work seven days a week, sometimes 16 hours a day, and ignore my own kids and my wife. And <laughs> so you've been you obsessed. Say, I, I, I'm obsessed. So <laughs> if somebody asked me if I had it to do all over again, would I do it? The honest answer would be, heck no. But uh, at the same time, when I look at what good has come out of it, you know, it, it, it is important. And, and you know, I feel a great sense of self-satisfaction, at least in applying myself to doing this work. Yeah. By the way, how many, what percentage of them are women? Uh, I have women in my database for every single award except for the Air Force Cross. Women have been awarded every single award in the U.S. military's uh, complement of awards except for the Air Force Cross, which has only been awarded about 200 times since it was established and all to men because women we're not allowed in combat, but uh, the first decorated heroes of the U.S. Army in World War One were both women who were awarded the Distinguished Service Cross. Uh, during World War Two, two women were awarded Distinguished Service Crosses. One of them was a civilian woman working for the OSS, Office of Strategic Services, as a spy. The other was a uh, French woman who was a lieutenant in the French Army, also working with the OSS. There were four um, mem- uh, U- United States Army nurses that received silver stars for heroism at uh, Anzio. And there was one Filipino woman that received the silver star for his her heroic actions in the Philippine Islands. And then, of course... In the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, two more women have been awarded Silver Stars. So uh, there's a large number of women that have received combat awards, like the Silver Star, the Distinguished Service Cross, the Navy Cross. One woman was awarded the Medal of Honor for heroism in the Civil War. And, of course, a large number of women that have received other awards, uh, Navy and Marine Corps medals, Soldiers' Medals, uh, Airmen's Medals, uh, distinguished flying crosses over the years so and you know heroism is not uh, gender specific by any means mm-hmm. with all these uh, 
that you, all these awards that you look at, it sounds like you don't actually see the citations often, do you? Oh yes, that you that do. is my work. My work is to find the citation, type up the citation, and post it to the Hall of Valor in digital format so people can go up and actually read the citation that describes the actions of the individual to receive that award. That okay. is my work. I'm, I mean, Silver Stars, I identify in excess of 100,000 of the 130,000 or so Silver Star recipients in history. But I can actually show you citations for nearly half of those awards that actually describe what the individual did to earn that Silver Star. Yeah, and I don't think I told you, but my brother is in there for the Silver Star. He was he was awarded it posthumously. He was killed in 2010, but I was glad to see that you had him in there. And I, actually, I don't even remember now if the citation was there, but I'm guessing it was. Uh, what was your brother's name? Your brother's name? Mark Forrester. Single R? Single R, correct. Mark Andrew Forrester was awarded the Silver Star for actions on 29 September 2010. I do have the full citation in my database for his award. He was killed in action on the date of his heroism, September 29, 2010. He's buried at Winston Memorial Cemetery in Del Mar, Alabama. He was born May 15, 1981, at Haleyville, Alabama, which was his hometown. He served with the 21st Special Tactics Squadron, United States Air Force, as a senior airman. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so how, I, I might send you an email if there's a, a small correction you can make, <laughs> and I'll, I'll talk to you about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> no, that's, I, I didn't no. even remember reading all of that, so that's really good to hear. Yeah, see, my database is right in front of me. You saw how long that took me to find out. Yeah, that was quick. Well, I was searching around on it today, and there are some that say um, unconfirmed. Does that mean you do not have the citation? Yes, those are individuals that I'm working from indexes that say um, this individual is listed for a silver star and it will have a general orders. You know, headquarters, 1st Infantry Division, general orders number 298-1944. That's an index that was compiled, or many of those come from an index that was compiled by one of my predecessors, a fellow by the name of Albert Gleam, who spent years going through the archives in uh, College Park, Maryland, and writing down these names and these general orders number, that's like the case that uh, I talked to you about, the man that uh, was on the B-17 didn't know he'd been awarded it. And so I've taken Gleam's work and I've built upon that and provided those general orders. And on basically a weekly basis, I will have people that will email me about those. Uh, on a weekly basis, people will contact me and say, well, you've got my uncle listed there. Uh, unconfirmed, how can we confirm it? Well, because I've got the general orders listed there, they can go to their congressional office and say, I need to get a copy of Headquarters General Orders Number 285, uh, 1st Infantry Division, 1944. And their congressperson can go to the National Archives and get that in like two to three weeks. And that's despite the famous fire in St. Louis. You see, all the individual military records are housed at the National Personnel Records Center in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. There was a fire there in 1973 
that damaged or destroyed more than 18 million records. And a lot of veterans will go to St. Louis, which is where everybody goes to get records, and they'll say, you know, I need records on such and such a veteran. And all too frequently, they will get a letter back from St. Louis saying, well, unfortunately, those records burned up in the fire. And so that many people believe that the record of those awards then is unrecoverable because they were lost in the fire in St. Louis. Now, I emphasize, those records in St. Louis are the records of an individual soldier, airman, marine, um, sailor, whatever. That's their personal records. The National Archives in College Park, Maryland, maintains the unit records. So just take myself, for instance. Uh, I served with the 25th Infantry Division in uh, Vietnam. Had I received any particular awards, you might try to get my records from St. Louis, and it might come back and say, well, his record burned up in the fire. Mine didn't, but uh, just as, as a case example, uh, any awards I might have might have burned up or been destroyed in the fire in St. Louis. But at College Park, Maryland, are all of the general orders that were issued by the 25th Infantry Division. There's no index to find them, but if you know the general orders number and year, then you can go to the unit records for the 25th Infantry Division and immediately find it. How often do you find out the backstory to these awards? I don't spend a lot of time dealing with the backstory because the size of the job that I have applied myself to is virtually impossible. Uh, in fact, DOD has come out and said it, it, it is impossible for DOD to compile the database of all these awards. Well, I've basically been doing it. And it's not impossible, but it's certainly um, a, a job that is formidable. And understanding how formidable that task before me is, and the fact that I'm no spring chicken, I'm 68 years old, uh, I apply myself primarily to focusing on getting the citation. Sometimes I do get backstories, but uh, as a general rule, I, I uh, would rather have the citations for 200,000 people than the citation, the backstory for 5,000. Oh, yeah. I can definitely understand that. I mean, just the amount of effort it's taken me to find out all I can about the day and the events surrounding my brother's death, just the one person. I mean, I'll still never never get everything, but, you know, some other people were killed. and But I've been on a mission to, to find out as much as I possibly can, and it's there's still questions unanswered. You mentioned a little earlier about the stolen valor. I'd like to talk about that. Can you will you discuss how serious and well why is it such a crime and how serious of an issue is it? Well, stolen valor is very very common. We run into it all over the place. Uh, individuals who claim to have received military awards that they did not actually receive. Um, 
every community has them. I've had cases uh, in Utah. I had a, uh, a case of an individual who claimed he was awarded a Distinguished Service Cross and a Silver Star in the Korean War, and he got a United States congressman to actually present it to him, and it was all over the front page. Uh, in fact, the congressman that presented the awards to him was Jason Chapez, pretty high-profile congressman, who at the time was uh, chairman of a U.S. House subcommittee. Uh, I advised uh, Congressman Chapez that uh, this guy was total phony and he had taken advantage of the congressman. The congressman then requested records from the Army and the Air Force on this individual to verify it. It took more than a year and the Air Force could not really get back to him with anything definitive, which kind of upset Jason Chapez. And ultimately, he called for a special hearing by his committee. Uh, I testified there along with uh, the gentleman who uh, runs operations at uh, the National Personnel Records Center in St. Louis and uh, six colonels from the Pentagon and uh, Congressman Chapas was not a happy camper because he had obviously been duped by this guy and presented our second highest award, the Distinguished Service Cross, second only to the Medal of Honor, to a guy who was a total phony. This definitely gets attention online. There's other guys that have YouTube channels that they're in this, you know, the one guy, his name slipped my mind, but he's just focused on fake seals. And that's a job right there. Yeah, uh, seems like everybody's a SEAL or a Ranger or a Green Beret or an Air Force PJ. There, <laughs> yeah. nobody wants to be a cook or a truck driver. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, there's plenty of cooks and truck drivers in my database for heroic actions and major awards. But uh, but when you're trying to impress the ladies in the bar over a few beers, yeah, I guess they decide it helps to be a Navy SEAL or a green beret. Mm-hmm. I, I'm. I want to know. Well, as in the case of your own brother, who is a ground combat controller. Uh, just a little bit of information for you. Uh, historically, uh, it was the officers in the Air Force to get all the awards. Uh, historically, it was very, very rare for enlisted airmen to get major awards because, unlike the Army and the Air Force. The sergeant goes out and pats the uh, captain on the shoulder as he helps him get into his aircraft and says, go get him. And in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, for the first time in history, uh, combat awards for heroism to enlisted airmen, for the first time, outnumber uh, basically three to one awards to Air Force officers. And those ground combat controllers have just racked up such an impressive list of awards uh, for heroism in the war on terrorism, both Silver Stars and uh, Air Force Crosses, as well as other awards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was looking at it today, and I I realized, man, I know a lot of men that are in your database. You've got Mm -hmm. got some Air Force Crosses. You've got multiple Silver Stars. What about when someone – I'll tell you what I've experienced. Plenty of times over the years – Mainly since my brother was entered the military, I meet people, and they will so freely and quickly tell me about all the great things they did in the military. And sometimes they'll throw out they were, they were a Green Beret or they were a SEAL, and they start patting themselves on the back. And and 
I never believe them because I feel like the people who really, when, when it's true, they don't talk about it like that, and especially not in the first few seconds of a conversation. Have you experienced that in your life? That is true, although it, uh, you know, I've met some uh, legitimate heroes, including some Medal of Honor recipients, although it's rare there, that are quick to brag about, you know, their service. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's something they feel great pride in. Uh, you know, what your example illustrates to me more than anything is why stolen valor is such a sad situation. There are so many phonies that now we become automatically suspicious of anybody. And, uh, you know, no veteran should be put under that umbrella of suspicion, and yet it's there. And you talk about the uh, YouTube and and the community out there, and, and they've done some good work. Uh, Anthony Anderson is a good friend of mine. He's the one that's done a lot of that. Um, but also we've seen a, a vast growth of vigilantism among veterans online that has turned into bullying. And I've seen a large number of cases of individuals who have said something and it doesn't quite ring true to somebody, and they all pile on. They accuse them of stolen valor. They call them names, and it goes on and on. And they are uh, subsequently find out that this person's account was true, um, and they've trashed a real hero. Uh, you got to be very careful. I mean, I've got a case of a a woman in Afghanistan over three days. This woman flying on a helicopter as a metal, uh, medical evacuation specialist, helped to evacuate all kinds of casualties. Uh, she was lowered by hoist from the helicopter into a house to uh, bring up wounded individuals on one of those situations, according to the story. Uh, the guys on the ground radioed the helicopter and said, hurry up and get her out of there. They're shooting at her while she's on the hoist. And it all sounds too good to be true. And she was ultimately awarded a distinguished flying cross. That sounds strange. And yet it's all true. It's all true. She did all those things. And so just because a story sounds too good to be true doesn't mean that it's not true. I mean, Audie Murphy standing on a tank with bullets coming around him and on the radio and saying, how, how close are the Germans? And he answers back, hang on, I'll let you talk to one of them. That sounds too good to be true, but it happened. Huh. And, and so just because a story sounds far-fetched, just because a story sounds too good to be true, doesn't mean that you're talking to a phony, and you've got to be careful about that. I would rather honor a dozen phonies for things that they never did than to wrongly accuse a legitimate hero of being a fake. So, you know, we've got to be careful, and that's why what I do is important. That's why databases like what I've got are important. You hear uh, Julia Bringlow talking, and she would never brag. I'm, I'm busy with her, and she's very, very humble. But you hear the story of her going down on the hoist to recover the wounded and being shot at and, and getting a, a distinguished flying cross uh, you know, that's you can go up on the database and you can find her and say, hey, this girl is for real. 
And so we've got to be very careful about jumping to conclusions. That is really good advice. I like that that quote you said about you'd rather honor whose whose story is skeptical, I guess, questionable, than to dishonor someone who really did did survive. Well, you know, you veterans that? make mistakes. You, you you see a veteran wearing medals that don't look right, and you jump to the conclusion that they're a phony. I mean. Uh, you can go out and Google Woodrow Wilson Keeble and find a picture of him right off the bat with all these medals on his uniform, and they look out of place, and he's wearing a silver star with a V. That's crazy. And yet, the guy's for real. His Distinguished Service Cross was upgraded to a Medal of Honor. And so, you know, veterans don't know all the ins and outs, and sometimes they make mistakes with their uniforms, sometimes even legitimate veterans tell war stories but you got to be careful and my statement that i made earlier and i will reiterate at your request is i would rather honor a dozen phonies for heroism that they don't deserve than make the mistake of trashing the reputation and the actions of one legitimate hero there was a man i wanted to have on my show a while back i just forgot i was trying to think of his name but he lives in mobile alabama and he wrote a book, and I ordered it, and it looked, it sounded, it was really good. I, I got through almost half of it, and I called him and asked him to, to, if I could interview him, and he said, he started pushing his book. Hey, did you buy my book? Did you buy my book? Did you buy my book? And then he said, hey, well, I can't talk about it because Hollywood's talking to me. And he actually used that word, Hollywood. They're talking to me about a movie, and I can't really say this, and I can't say that. So he was dodging the interview request, and I, and I, I got a weird feeling about him, and um, – I pulled up some internet, some things on the internet, and you never know what's true. But there were definitely there were definitely people that believed that he was a phony, and I just so I just dropped it and I didn't try to contact him anymore because it just seemed really fishy to me. And and that could very well be the case. On the other hand, I had a very very good friend of mine who was always talking about, well, I can't you know talk about this, I can't talk about that because. I signed a contract with Hollywood, and they paid me $20,000 for my story, and they have first rights to my story. And he went to his grave believing that someday Hollywood was going to make a movie about him. The man received the Medal of Honor and four Navy Crosses as commander of the USS Barb, a submarine during World War II. And it was a fact. Uh, in the late 1940s and early 1950s, uh, Hollywood uh, companies went to a number of the great heroes of World War II and paid them a small amount, $15,000, $20,000, for first rights to their story, not because they thought that they were, might ever make a movie about them, but it was a small price to pay to lock up the individual story and have first rights to it. Uh, another one of my good friends that... Uh, heard that and heard that and heard that, that Hollywood was going to make a movie about him, went to his grave, and Hollywood still had never made that movie about him in World War II. A few years after his death, Mel Gibson made the story or the movie of Desmond Doss. So, you know, as incredible as those things sound, the possibility exists that it could be for real. Mm. And that's why I constantly warn people about not jumping the gun. That is good advice. Have you seen Hacksaw Ridge? I haven't seen it yet. Well, just the very beginning, that's it. I've, I haven't okay. had time to watch it without the kids around. I, I, I wish Desmond Doss 
had lived to see that. But, you know, Hollywood bought his, the right to his story, you know, and and they said they were going to make the movie, and they said they were going to make the movie, and they never did, and he died, and the movie still hadn't been made. And the same thing was true with the uh, other gentleman I mentioned to you, commander of the USS Barb, uh, Gene Plucky. So, you know, improbable stories are not convincing evidence that something is amiss. And, again, that's why such things as this database or to sound like the guy you were going to interview, all of my books, because I have them too, <laughs> are important to, to preserve this. And so that's why we need that record. You know, the most common victims of stolen valor are newspaper reporters, because they go to a veterans event, they hear a good story, and they don't have two months, six months, to file a request for records to find out if this individual is telling them the truth. And so frequently they have to run with the story that they have, and all too infrequently the story that they hear at that little gathering is false. So that's why it is so necessary to have that database that people can go and quickly check and say, yeah, this person's for real. If they don't find them in the database, it doesn't mean that they're not for real because my database is a work in progress, but it's certainly uh, a matter of concern. Great reasoning for having it. I think that that's, that's a big driving force in the why I wrote the book on my brother because especially he wasn't married, he didn't have kids, and quickly we'll get to a point where no one knew him. And it's important uh, to to record not just his military life and career, but his just his life and why he, what made him the man he was. And so I was able to at least get that in a book that it didn't matter if it sold a thousand copies or ten, as long as I had that record for our family at least to pass down, then that was what's most important. Exactly. I'd like to talk about your military career. You know, why did why did you join the army, and why did you choose the job you did, or or maybe you, you may have done multiple jobs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I joined the army to find out something about myself. Um, I wasn't sure if I was a coward or not, and uh, so I joined the army to find out because I felt I had the obligation at least to serve. And um, because I worked highway construction, I went into the Army Engineers and uh, enlisted uh, for a special school we had back uh, during the Vietnam War. It was uh, SDB, they called it, Skill Development Base. Um, they used to call it Shake and Bake because 16 weeks in the Army and they made you an E-4 corporal, and after four months of uh, classes, you got to be an E-5 sergeant, so... That's why I picked what I picked. <laughs> well, what kind of experiences did you have, especially coming home at that time with the Vietnam War? Well, I was from Montana. So when I came home, if I walked into a bar in uniform, I couldn't buy a drink because everybody was buying me drinks. So uh, so I, I know where you're going with the question. And, yeah, flying out of Oakland and flying back into SeaTac and, and whatnot, I did from time to time run into people who, you know, had negative things to say to me. But that was 50 years ago. 
And, you know, my message to Vietnam veterans is get over it. I'm not one of these guys that will sit around and whine about not getting welcome back home. I volunteered to go. I went. I did my job. If I had it to do over again, I'd do the same darn thing. There were those who appreciated what I did and those who had some nasty things to say to me. But, my God, that's 50 years ago. Today, our country has uh, recognized its mistake in the way that it treated Vietnam vets. And time after time after time has tried to make up to us. And so I'm not going to be among those Vietnam veterans that sits around and cries about something that happened 50 years ago. <laughs> Good. I've Good. grown up. Well, what effects did your did the your military service have, or maybe another way, another question to ask is, how did it affect what you do, what you've done for your career, and now? Well, my uh, military service uh, took a boy out of high school, turned him into a man, taught him how to lead, taught him self confidence. Like I say, I I wasn't sure if I was a coward or what when I went to Vietnam. I wasn't afraid to die. I was afraid that I might get into a tough situation, turn coward, and, and uh, you know, cause the death of my friends. Fortunately, I found out that uh, even though I was scared many times, that I had it within me to rise to the occasion and do what needed to be done. Uh, in 2005, following uh, Hurricane Katrina, um, I could not sleep for three days. I sat up, I watched the TV, I watched what was going on down there. I couldn't believe it. It was probably the first time I flashed back to Vietnam since I came home because it was like seeing a third world country all over again. Mm -hmm. After three days of that, I turned to my wife and I said, Honey, we're going to bring a dozen families to Puebla. We're going to put them in houses, rent and utilities free for the next six months. We've got plenty of vacant houses here. And she tried to temper me a little bit, said, well, why don't we do it for just one? Uh, ultimately, within 10 days after the hurricane, we brought 17 families into the Pueblo and surrounding area, put them into homes that were fully furnished, clothing, linens, everything, rent and utilities free for from 6 to 12 months. That was within 10 days of the hurricane while people were still sitting around with thumbs up their posteriors in uh, the Astrodome. Uh, within 30 days, we relocated nearly 200 families into Colorado, and I worked uh, with other states to relocate about 1,500 people. And I always said it was everything I learned in the military in terms of leadership, organization, and everything else that enabled me to do that. It was probably, and life has been quite interesting, the most defining moment of my entire life, and I was able to do it only because of all the things I had learned through the training, the experience, and everything else that the military gave me. And for that, I will be forever grateful. The military, I didn't give the military anything. They gave me everything. And I literally feel sorry for all those people who have never had the chance that I had to serve my country in uniform and learn all of the things that that are associated with that kind of service. Well, that, that's a great way to wrap it up. What about anything in closing, Doug? Um, yeah, I, I will plug my books because that's my legacy. 
Uh, yeah, do it, and I'll page. put a link as well. I'll put a link in the notes too. So yeah, plug <laughs> okay. them. Tell us about them. Have you seen my Air Force book in GWAT? Uh, I've seen. I've just seen it online. I haven't seen it in person. Okay. Well, your brother's citation and his picture is in there. Uh, but um, over the last couple of years now, I have started to publish these in books because when I started, this material wasn't available. And like I say, I'm 68 years old, got one foot in the grave, and I don't know how much longer I'll be going, and I want to see this stuff outlive me, so it's my legacy. I currently have 46 books totaling 21,000 pages. 15 million words in print. I don't know if anyone has ever uh, published that much or not. If you if you buy one copy of each of my books, be, besides breaking your budget, uh, the stack of books would be over five feet high. And you've also got, uh, is your latest one Restoring Valor? No, that's... Uh, that was the first one that we had uh, in print. I, I actually, my wife and I, back in 2012, I had done, you know, contributed to a number of other books over the years, but that was the first one that we actually did back in 2012, and that was printed. And then subsequent to that, we've done all these others. When were you featured in Penthouse? Uh, that was in 2012. <laughs> okay. Well, I thought that, that was interesting when I read about Well, that. that same year, we were my wife and I were both featured in AARP magazine, which is uh, the world's largest circulation magazine for her work primarily on the Stolen Valor Act. And, of course, my wife wasn't too thrilled to be featured in the American Association of Retired <laughs> People's magazine. That's an old folks' magazine. Right, then along right. came... Uh, penthouse and wanted to include me in a story and she said oh great you know my my daughter whose husband is in the air force as soon as it came out was heading out to buy a copy of penthouse and she said yeah you know it's okay for my husband to be in penthouse now if that had been me my kids would have been scarred for life so we got a lot of joking around about yeah, that well, you are doing great work. What's the best way for people to look look you up and find out about you? Uh, well, they can just Google me. There's, you know, I'm all over the internet. The uh, the Military Times Hall of Valor. Just go to militarytimes.com and you can find the Hall of Valor. Uh, I currently do have my Home of Heroes website up, but like I say, we'll probably be taking that down later this year. Homeofheroes.com. And for my books, it's very simple. It's just Amazon.com slash author slash Sterner, S-T-E-R-N-E-R, and it'll take you right to my author page.